he said, who's she? Surely it must be other people rather than her. And I say, no, this girl is going to be unbelievable. I particularly want to sponsor her. So he said, fine, I wrote, wrote to the mother. So I met Katrina, gosh, I met her when she was only just 15 and said, you know, I'm on your journey all the way right through, all the way, because I believe you can get an Olympic gold medal. Hello, welcome back to the England Athletics Podcast. This time, our guest is someone who isn't an athlete, an official, or a coach. Any guesses? Barry Wells is a successful businessman and philanthropist who has given away millions of pounds to sponsor British athletes and to help seriously ill young children. He was inspired to do something special in the build-up to the London 2012 Olympics, having just sold one of his companies for an eight-figure sum of money. In this episode, you'll find out what it's been like to see Katarina Johnson-Thompson benefit and grow from being a little-known teenager to world number one. But there's more to it. Barry is the grandson of Lat Stones, the world pole vault record holder in the 1800s. His grandfather's legacy seems like a good place to start. On my mother's side, it was a very uh, successful sporting family, of which the best was my maternal grandfather, who was the world pole vault record holder. He went to America. He, he won the AAU, Hold on America, he won the Canadian title. Uh, in the year he retired, I think he had seven of the ten highest vaults in the world. So he, so he really was you know, a big part of the history of the family. And uh, so I'd always been interested in sport. I was being taken along to Anfield to watch Liverpool from a very early age as well. So, and also, I, you know, I competed myself as a 400-meter runner. Yeah, it's a nice bit of history as well. I, I was looking back, your grandfather, Ernest Latimer Stones, I believe, uh, better known as, as Lat, 3 metres 57 in 1889. So 131 years ago, if my math is correct. And, you know, some of those records were set in South Borden places like that. So it's a great piece of history for, for that part of the world. Well, yes, he held, for example, he held the Scottish pole vault record, which again, he said 1889. He held that to about 1920. And it was really great when the London Olympics were on because I'd go every day. So I'd see every event every day. And then I'd go back and I'd check at nighttime. I'd be checking and seeing what I'd been on. I was watching Holly Bleasdale as she was, Holly Bradshaw now. I was watching her in the pole vault in the evening and Michael Johnson was there. And then somebody actually commented, it was interesting that the that Barry Wells, who sponsored Holly at the time, that uh, his grandfather was a world pole vault record holder. Ernest Latimer Jones, and then they were actually debating as to where the name Latimer came from. So it's quite strange, way over 100 years later, actually watching this debate. Interesting. Yeah. So why sponsor athletes then? Yeah, well, it, all, it really all came together in 2008. I've been to the Olympics as far back as Munich in 1972. Yeah, I've got to kill all this cash and decide, OK, I'm, I'm going to set out to, to give it most of it away. I did schools in India, I did water projects in Africa, and then I'm sitting with my son in the 2008 Olympics, watching athletics, and then I just said, I've got it, you know, London Olympics 2012, why don't I switch the emphasis across to uh, to sport and pick out 18, 20 people who either have lost the funding or have never had the funding, I've got some problems on funding who I think have got potential of getting medals or making the finals in 2012. And that's exactly what happened. So I did athletics. I did swimming. 
modern pentathlon. I enjoy multi-events. And then I did triathlon as well. So there were 18 athletes over four different sports, but the main ones were the, the track and field. In particular, KJT, Katarina Johnson-Thompson. Now, when we talk about 2012, one of the buzzwords, certainly the time was legacy. You can't really pick out someone better who's blossomed since 2012 than KJT. That must be a, a special for you to have seen the way that she's grown from a young heptathlete with so much promise to becoming Commonwealth and now world champion. Just tell me a little bit about your journey with her. Well, the journey with her went all the way back to when I think she would be 15, 2008. I wanted to sponsor Jessica Rennips because she'd just lost some of her funding because she didn't compete in the Olympics because of injury. So I'd come up with this list and one was, was Katarina. So I went off to see UK Athletics and asked them, here's a list of athletes I'd like to sponsor. So they don't think I'm some kind of weirdo. Can you write first and give them my credentials, which uh, Niels DeVos very kindly did. But except for Katarina, when he'd never heard of her at all. And he was, well, who's, who's she? Surely it must be other people rather than her. And I say, no, this girl is going to be unbelievable. I, I particularly want to sponsor her. So he said, fine, I wrote to, wrote to the mother. So, gosh, I met her when she was only just 15 and said, you know, I'm on your journey all the way right through, all the way, because I believe you can get an Olympic gold medal. Two big special parts of the journey with Katarina. One was in 2012 when she had to qualify. She had to get the points to qualify for Olympics. So we we're off going around Europe, going to Italy, going to the Czech Republic, looking for heptathlons to see. And I was just so proud when she actually, in Kladno, in Czechoslovakia, she actually got the points necessary to be picked for the Olympic team. And just, she was so excited. Her mother was so excited. The coach was so excited. All four of us were just leaping around with amazement that she actually had at that stage made the Olympics. So that was a big one. And of course, the next one was being in Doha when she won the World um, Championship last year, which obviously was so, so well-deserved. Yeah, and it had taken a bit of time, obviously. It was, there is the precedent of winning medals, Jess Ennis and Denise Lewis before, and I suppose that adds a, a bit of pressure. What did you sense the emotions were during that Doha World Championships? She started off with the wonderful, wonderful hurdles. And then that was it. And she, she was ahead. And then she just gradually started pulling away. And I knew it was, I knew it was all over at the long jump. Yeah, I mean, you can never say that because people can trip and get pulled over. I thought, gosh, it's going to be an absolute miracle now if she win the gold because she would have dropped a bit back on the javelin. But again, she did you know, a good throw in the javelin. And then the 800 metres, she you know, just is phenomenal in the last event. So it was just a bit of a... Um, a coronation, really, the last event as she just strode the 800 metres and came in with a new UK record. And so I was then just screaming, shout, come on, come on, the cat, come on, the cat. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Olympics this year was delayed till next year because I think she would have actually won it by possibly quite a margin. Yes, and it's a wonderful rivalry with uh, Nappy TM as well. I think that beating a great competitor perhaps makes it more worthwhile. I often think in modern track and field, people are unwilling to pitch two people against another and say these are two rivals, but it really captures the imagination of the crowd, I think. Well, it does. And they've obviously you know, got quite a good relationship because I remember in Rio 2016, we had that phenomenal high jump when they both got over 198. They're both kind of clapping each other on, really. And then Katarina at that stage, of course, broke the UK 
high jump record with uh, with 198. So, and if you understand the points of the event, you can just follow it all the way through because you know what each each one's expectations are. Very lucky that there are websites that you can use as like a heptathlon decathlon calculator. So you, you can type in the distance and it comes up with the numbers instantly to make you look like a, a genius. Katarina's mother has a book. She's always had this book that she takes around with her. So she, she has the book which she can open and memorize quickly and recite the points. So uh, that's very useful as well. I suppose you must have seen just how it affects the family. What is it like? off camera what we don't see on the television it is very interesting because in the in the 2012 olympics i managed to accumulate quite a number of tickets because i thought if i'm sponsoring jessica ennis di green people like that i'm not going to be standing i don't want to be standing outside the stadium you know shouting come on jess come on die i want to be in the stadium i actually would take along the, the families in some cases of the people competing even the case of Steph Twell, actually bringing her father back from Australia, paying for him to come back from Australia. And ironically, uh, Steph finished up being injured, sadly, and couldn't compete, but the father still came back. But it's actually sitting. So I was sitting, for example, the 800 metres, that wonderful, wonderful um, run by Radisha when he broke the world record. Michael Rimmer, who I'm quite close to, didn't make the final. So he's sitting next to me and watching the final. And it's great sitting watching the final with somebody who's that knowledgeable about the event and, and just finding it unbelievable the speed that Radisha was going around. And then when Beth Tweddle was in gymnastics, Katarina had finished and her and I then jumped on a train and went across to the gymnastics to be there when Beth won her medal. So then Beth spotted us both in the crowd and waved at us. So you know, just being involved in the family side is amazing. And, and probably the, the best example I've got, again, is Beth Tweddle. I was invited after the Olympics to this do at her her parents' house. And when I went along, there were about 80 people. And what she had done, which I thought was so incredibly special, she'd actually picked out every single person who'd helped her on her journey all the way along, from four years old right through to the Olympic medal. You know, the, the lady who'd taken her to gymnastic training when her mother um, couldn't. Medical people, all people there from different parts of her life. And I thought that was great because it shows to, to get to that level, you need helping all the way along your life, not necessarily financial help, but people who'd help take you to events. And I thought Beth was so special doing that. That was just a tremendous thing she did. Yeah, that's really nice of her to, to give that back in that way. Just just on the music, I was thinking on the funding, you do get these incredible requests come in. I mean, before the Olympics 2012, I had this 45-year-old man write to me. He told me that God had told him he would win the Olympic 50-kilometer walk. He never walked in his life. But he said, you know, God has told me I can win the gold medal 18 months time. And God's told me you will pay me a salary and expenses while I train. Uh, so I, I keep all these letters. It makes a wonderful after dinner speech. But this was me going back to him and saying, well, God's not told me that at all. So I didn't. And then there was another one, this man who said that if you put mild electric currents through thoroughbred race courses, it can improve their performance. And he thought the same could apply to prosthetics. So. He knew that I was sponsoring Jessica Ennis, so he wondered, would I talk to Jessica and Tony Mendicello, her coach, to uh, strap Jess to an electric chair? And every morning and night, they put a, a small electric current through her body <laughs> to help flush lactic acid out of her system. I mean, just is I've got so many of these, they're absolutely extraordinary. And then 
even get them from nations. I mean, before the Olympics, again, 2012, I had a country, which will, a small country, which will remain nameless, contacted me and said, if I give them £25,000 to fund their small team to the Games, they could uh, get me a ticket for all events and I could march with the team. And I sort of pointed out that as a um, slightly overweight middle-aged person, I would look out of place walking with this team of young thin athletes. And they said, oh no, they said, our team is virtually entirely officials, which <laughs> I thought said it all really. But so you do get some very, very strange requests. Hi, my name is Abigail Irosaru and you're listening to the England Athletics Podcast. That's right, this is the England Athletics Podcast. We're now on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and a host of other online platforms too. Continuing now though, on to the second half of my conversation with entrepreneur Barry Wells. What we haven't touched on is what got Barry started in business. Here lies a good story of what he describes as his tenacity and vision that really kick-started his career. I worked at this insurance company in a sales role and reading through, I must have been bored because I was reading through the staff manual. Now, normally when company people join companies, they never read the history of that, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I must have been bored. I was reading this and I came to this amazing opportunity at the end of it. What it said is that they would pay for a member of staff on a scholarship to go anywhere in the world that they wanted to, to study insurance for a year and they would pay all the expenses and you had to put an entry in and the entry said which country would you want to go to what would you study how would you make your personal context what would your budget be and that was part of the entry so i just thought this is incredible i i just want to go to the united states so i thought i want to go to the united states to study marketing so i went to see the manager of the office and said i'm going to enter this and he said don't bother you have no chance that's for the oxford cambridge university fast track it's only ever been one once you have no chance on that so forget it so Anyway, then I had a chance to go to head office, now, and I mentioned the same thing again. I wanted to enter this, and again, I was told you've no chance. So I thought, right, this prize is so big. You know, you're studying in America high, with these high-level contacts. So what I did, I picked out 30 American companies, and I actually wrote to the companies and said to the companies that um, I would be coming, not I hope to, I would be coming to the United States on the scholarship next year, could I come to this company in Chicago, that company mm. in Boston, et cetera? Could I come to the company and interview senior executives for three or four or five days? So I sent these things off. And amazingly, 29 of the 30 came back and said, yes, you can. Wow. And then the next thing I did is, how do we get around America? <laughs> so I looked, there's this Greyhound bus um, on that. So I then I'll try about the Greyhound bus. So I put the entry in. And of course, the entry had all these appendices of all these companies that said yes to me. And I had all the combination organized throughout the whole country. And I hadn't won the thing. There was absolute silence for about a month. And then I got called to that office and um, they, they waved this thing at me, the board, and said, you know, what happens if we don't award this to you? And I said, <laughs> I just sat there looking blank at me. They asked them and they said, but don't worry. We're going to give it to you because you want to win it so badly. That's what makes you different. Mm. You want to win this thing so badly. You've spent probably six months of your life at weekends entering it. And that just whole changed my life. It just changed my view of things about thinking outside the box, seizing opportunities, you know, making things happen with self-belief and tenacity. My whole career just 
and rocketed and took off and I was up, up and away. And what you've done is to try and help others, you know, to have the, a similar career trajectory in, in a completely different way, I suppose. Well, yes, yes. And particularly, I, I used to get all the athletes and swimmers and mum for that together once a year for a dinner. And then we'd all talk. Di Green was there. Di Green just won the world championship. You know, why is Di Green, why is his attitude going to the Olympics that I only want the gold medal? Whereas other people were, we hope to make the final. He was the world champion, the European champion. And the Olympics, he wanted the gold medal, that kind of thing. So it was, it was getting that interaction going. But then, of course, the Olympics came and um, Di had injury issues, but still competed. And he got two fourths. He was fourth in the 400 hurdles and he was fourth in the four by four. So, which must be one of the hardest places to be, fourth in the Olympics, but twice. What do you think they, they learned off each other? It was just great just sitting back and watch, watching them talk, watching, you know, swimmers talk to athletes. And we'd arranged, we'd arranged the seating as well, so they're all, all mixed. The first one, I think Jody Williams would only be 16, and Katharina was 17, was a swimmer, and Bachman was only 15. So, we, you know, some young ones there. Who went on to, uh, you know, do do good things? Or there were senior people like Liam Tankoff, the backstroke swimmer, who had loads of world championship medals. But we actually worked out how many medals we, we had. I think the room had about eighty-one world, Olympic, or European medals. It was just, you know, a phenomenal number. That's brilliant. So let's talk about something away from from track and field itself. Now, one of your initiatives and programs is called. Box for Kids, uh, which has made a, a, quite a difference to a number of children and, and their families. Tell us about Box for Kids. Well, this one started at Liverpool Football Club when I had an opportunity to buy a box. And boxes are very expensive. I mean, Premier League, you would pay about £70,000, £80,000 for a box for 10 people. So I thought what I would do is I would get a box at Liverpool Football Club. I'd pay for a box and then I would take four children with a guest were seriously ill or disabled or terminal children, that I would take them to every single game. So every single game, it wouldn't be friends, it wouldn't be family, it would be me taking seriously ill children from Alder Hay Hospital. I wasn't sure I'd be able to cope with it emotionally at the start, because I mean, so many of these kids have actually, very, very sadly, um, have died, and I've, you know, I've been to funerals. And so I wasn't sure if I could cope with it emotionally, but I found the kids were just so happy on the day, um, and it was so happy with the family. And afterwards, kids would say, by the parents, this has been the best day of my life. They'd make videos. Kids would make me cakes. Kids would send me presents. I'd get hundreds and hundreds of cards. And so I just thought this has been so successful at Liverpool. What I now will do is I now will go and see if I can get boxes donated because they are so expensive. I'll see if I can get boxes donated all over the country. So, and I've now got something like 150 corporate bodies or people who've got venues, um, boxes in, in, in stadiums, things, actually do give me boxes. And so literally just under 10,000 children and their families have been to these events. And the big, I suppose the really biggest one has been the Jockey Club, because I made a presentation for Jockey Club. All I was saying is, can you let me have a box? They own about 15 race courses. They said, well, you can have two or three boxes a year in every single race course that we own. Kids could present the prizes, the winning jockey, the winning trainer, the winning owner, which is just an incredible experience for the kid. They let the kids put on the silks of the jockeys, 
they'd take the kids down to meet the horses and the stables. It just was, it just had been so special. So it, so it could be somebody big like the Jockey Club, or it could be the Farnborough Earth Show, which picked us out as the charity, their charity. And we take something like 300 kids to the Farnborough Earth Show. And then they go on planes and they're lifted into planes by the American Air Force and the Red Arrows come in to see them. And if we take them to entertain the arenas to see things like Strictly, we would then get the Strictly cast to actually come in and meet the kids. And then there was one where there's um, a magician called Dynamo and uh, I discovered that he had Crohn's disease. So what we did, we had a, an event which he was, he was the star at and all the kids who went had Crohn's disease and he came in to see the kids. But the big athletic one was an amazing one because UK Athletics are very kindly given me a box every year when the anniversary games are held in the Olympic Stadium. So, but one year, it was the year Bolt was competing and he was warming down. And what happened is Neil Savos came in a box and took the kids down onto the track, showed them where Bolt had started, walked the length of the track, went into the warm down area where Usain Bolt came across and um, was joking with the kids. That's brilliant. And, and sometimes it doesn't take that much uh, of someone's time to make a difference, really, and make a big difference to some of these children. In the, the New Year's Honours list this year, you were appointed MBE for services to seriously ill children. That perhaps is, is one of your proudest moments, knowing that that difference has been recognised. Well, yes, it was. You know, what wasn't given for my, my business achievements, anything like that. It was purely given for what I'd done for these, these uh, the children. And that was interesting because it was awarded to me by Prince William. So you, you, you've got about two minutes, you walk up to see Prince William and um, he, he's, he's very well briefed. And he sort of mentioned Boxer Kids instantly. And he said, where have you got boxes? And I said, Premier League, I've gone all over the place, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, I could go on. I said, but not, not at Aston Villa. He just burst out laughing because of course he's such a big Villa fan. And you, you get a video and this was captured on the video, him laughing away and saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'll certainly be going to Villa when all this is over, the, the virus, and we're off again. And actually saying Prince William has said I can get a box at, um, at Villa. So how does it work then when, when you get an MBE? You get a, a letter and then you're told a date, maybe a small group of you uh, waiting in line. How does it work? Well, yes, there, there were about 50, of which um, three of them were from the England team, including Ben Stokes. And so... So there were a combination, I mean, quite a few, quite a few were military, quite a few were charity like myself. So you get the letter beforehand and you're invited to the palace and it's just all beautifully organised. But I was really lucky because I heard it, I heard last Christmas. And so it's on February the 25th. Everything closed down about a month after, less than a month after that. Before that, I'd been to Downing Street. I was having these very mysterious messages from Downing Street. They were saying to uh, the staff, we want to follow Box for Kids closely, but they wouldn't tell me why. But it went on and they wouldn't tell me what it was. And then I got told on December the 23rd, would I be at a Dancing on Ice event that was held at the O2? And they still wouldn't tell me why. And they said, oh, Theresa May is very interested. So I assumed Theresa May was for some reason going to turn up in the box to meet the kids. I told the kids that someone special, somebody very, very special was coming into the box. Uh, I hadn't told them who it was. And I literally was traveling down 
And I still didn't know if she was coming to box. And I was traveling from Eustace Station down to the O2. And I got this um, phone call from the palace to say, you have been, um, you've won a thing called a Points of Light Award, which was invented, I think, by George Bush and um, David Cameron introduced it. And the prime minister pink, picks out their best charity for the day. And on that one particular day, December 23rd, I was the special charity of the prime minister. So I still thought she'd come to the box. And I said, is she coming to the box? And they Danny said, oh, no, no, she, she's not coming to the box. But you know, I just thought, I'll tell you, if I get the box, and the kids all want this celebrity, the kids all want a celebrity. I thought, what do I do? And I then thought, well, can I get a member of the cast? Can I get Mickey Mouse to come in the box? Yeah, somebody from Disney to come in the box. So I was kind of working away on that and doing that. Because of course the kids would probably appreciate seeing Minnie Mouse rather than seeing a politician anyway. So at the end of the day, <laughs> it all ended quite successfully. Yeah, interesting. Many proud moments over your career. And, and we talked about KJT earlier but I wonder Barry whether your knowledge and experience in in different sports has made you think differently about maybe how certain sports are are better funded what do you think of the way that athletes track and field athletes are funded today I just think the whole thing is far away too medal driven the funding which goes out to the individual sports is of course based around how many medals they think that individual sport will win in the next Olympics coming up. So that that directs the way the money is given to the sport. So you might get a sport like basketball, which we're not hugely, we're not that successful in, but it's a sport in the inner cities. It's a very diverse sport. And I think it's a great sport. And there's so many people who do basketball, but basketball, I think, gets very, very, very little funding because it won't do particularly well in the Olympics. Whereas the ones would do, of course, are the, the ones that you would expect, the rowing, the sailing, things like that, you know, get massive support, but they're very upper-class educated sports. I mean, there have been some good works done on this to show the profile of the different sports, but I think, I think the money should come down more to the grassroots. It should be partly metal-driven, but that's not the beginning and end of it. Obviously, the sports are then picked out who get are going to do the best. They get the most money. And then the money within the sport is then given out again to people who they think will do well. And you could get a case of relays, take the four by four meter relay, you could get people who would be seventh and eighth ranked in the UK, but they're there in the relay squad and they're getting 25,000 pounds a year. They're getting overseas trips. They're getting all the medical, they're getting all sorts of this stuff. Uh, and I think that money could have gone further down the line and helped more at the grassroots level, more helping the coaches, which again will come through in, in more medals. In it. I just think it's too medal driven. Understandable and interesting to hear your reflections on that. We've talked about many of your projects. What's next for you, do you think? One is uh, make Box for Kids bigger. I've already taken it overseas. We've got it uh, in, in Singapore, does the Singapore Air Show. Trying to persuade more companies to make us their charity. We have about 200 boxes a year. Just saying, well, people give up their box for even just one event. And what we do afterwards, we actually send them videos of the kids, pictures of the kids, letters from the kids. So make that bigger. And then the other thing I decided to do was I decided to, um, because I do talk on uh, entrepreneurship on MBA course, I thought I'd like to go overseas doing that because I had requests from Beijing University, Shanghai, 
Stuttgart. So I was going to do that. And I was due to speak in Stuttgart, actually, 31st of March, University of Stuttgart, when, of course, we all start traveling. So whether that gets reactivated, I don't know um, on that. So, yeah, but may, mainly make Box for Kids bigger. Well, it's great to hear of the difference that project has made to the lives of seriously ill young children. And thanks to Barry Wells. Hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And do get in touch if you have any thoughts via the usual social media channels or the England Athletic sites. That includes anything you'd like us to discuss in future months. That's all for this episode, though. Thanks for listening and goodbye.